0: My concern is, I don't want to do anything that's going to hurt her or worsen her situation. So yes, it was very overwhelming, especially when you're putting all that on a kid who's in ninth grade and doesn't have any medical knowledge.
1: When she was a child, Doris Martinez moved to North Texas with her family. Her grandmother was battling cancer.
0: She was on hospice services in her home and um, they would come in and take care of her but none of the nurses spoke spanish so one of us had to be there either myself or my other sister and i was the oldest i was in ninth grade And even at that, English was my second language because we had just got here from Puerto Rico.
1: And Doris says even with the English she did know, she was a kid. She wasn't prepared to serve as a translator between her grandmother and nurses.
0: I didn't even know the medical terminology. At that age, you normally don't. And um, then secondly... I tried to do as much as the best that I could, but then there were some things that you we missed in translation in regards to her aftercare. Luckily, my mom was or is a nurse and I would tell her what they would tell me and then she would be able to help us with the care. But mostly it would have to wait till she got home because she worked 12 hour shifts and we lived in Grand Prairie back then and she worked in Dallas at the VA hospital. So it was a commute, and then, of course, she wouldn't even get home till after 9. So long days, and so we were the ones that were there to take care of her.
1: In 2021, NBC News reported that just 6, 6% six of nurses in the United States are Latinx. I'm Bailey Friday, and North Texas wants to know... What do we have to do to get more bilingual nurses into the healthcare system? U.S. Census Bureau data shows nearly 60 million Hispanic people in the U.S. That makes up just over 18 percent of the population, 41 million of whom speak Spanish. By 2060, the percentage of Hispanic people in the U.S. is projected to grow to nearly 29 percent. That's about 119 million people.
2: We want to be sure that we educate them. We walk them through the process. We we work with community health workers that are hired and recruited from these zip codes or from these communities. So most likely they know her or know him.
1: That's Teresita Oaks. She's the director of community health programs at Parkland Hospital in Dallas. She joined KRLD's Ask the Expert last week.
2: And then it makes it easier to share the information. They They speak the same language, they look alike. So if somebody you trust, somebody you feel comfortable telling your story in a way that it makes sense without being intimidated by healthcare professionals. These are individuals that in many times they hold three or four jobs. They might be taking care of their parents. They have small kids or teenagers at home. So taking the time, and it's not only the time off from work but also the time they have to invest in getting to a location. So that's why we're bringing the services to their communities to reduce that travel time, to make it a lot easier for them to come in and begin that step. Inspired by her experience translating for her grandmother when she was a teenager, Martinez
1: has made it her mission to make it easier for other Spanish-speaking families to access care in their native language.
0: We decided that we were going to open a home health and hospice that was dedicated to the Latino community and provide nurses to take care of the patients in the home that spoke Spanish. And doing it for so long, I did the recruiting part of it for 17 years. Mm-hmm. We always knew there's a need. And in the recruiting, you can, we could never get enough nurses.
1: That work is what led to the launch of the Cuidado Casero Foundation which helps get more bilingual nurses started on their career path.
0: We started the foundation when, it, when we thought about it, it was in June of 2017. And we decided that our vision was going to be able to help these Latino students that were interested in going to school but couldn't afford it. And so we launched the foundation. We um, awarded our first round of scholarships in 2018. And so what we do is we offer the scholarship to students who are pursuing a degree in nursing, and can speak Spanish, and uh, we've partnered with Tarrant County College, which has the first bilingual nursing program in the DFW area.
1: On an August episode of North Texas Wants to Know, we spoke to Anton Lucky, a Dallas activist working to reduce violent crime. He stressed the importance of having a quote credible messenger when trying to reach a specific community.
2: Someone who has proximity. When when you have the scientists who are trying to develop the cures. Uh, they they take some of uh, a strain of the virus of the virus and tr- and create an antibody it's under that same methodology that you take some of these guys and girls who were once the problems once who promoted who perpetuated violence and you train you 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 give them something to transform them so that they have a ripple effect on others that they transfer others, because they have people who look up to them who look up to they, to their to they example And so we're just trying to get them to use their influence and their example for good. And as we do this, we start building the report, we start building the trust, and then as the results come back, we give them guidance. Well, based on this, you might need to maybe just change something about your diet, improve your health, your physical activity, or maybe you do need to come and see a doctor in two weeks, three weeks, depending on the results of those blood pressure measurements or the glucose test that we do.
1: How does receiving care in a language not native to the patient affect other things like follow-up care and instructions for what to do Mm -hmm. once they're discharged?
0: They're able to get better faster if they understand what the requirements are and how to Mm -hmm. follow up with any specialties and making it follow-up appointments with uh, coming back to the doctor. Half of the time, these patients that are the older generation a lot of them just have second grade education or, or, you know, elementary school education. So some of them don't even, might not even know how to read. So they making sure that they, when they leave the hospital or any type of healthcare setting, that they know what's expected of them and what they need to do at home, what medications they need to take at what time that's important to the recovery. Uh, what time, you know, any exercises that they may need to do to strengthen themselves, and get uh, better faster is also very important.
1: And let's be honest here: how many times has a doctor or nurse said something to you, and it's just gone totally over your head? Even if it's in your native language, the bottom line is sometimes understanding these kinds of instructions can be super confusing, even when they're given in the
2: patient's first language. We have to recognize that healthcare in itself has a complex language; it's foreign to everybody else who doesn't work in the in the field. So. One thing is to say, you know, you have hyperglycemia and everybody looks at you like, what? Versus saying you have high levels of sugar in your blood, right? It's, it's a easy that people can understand that. Um, so first, we have to take the language that they're using in the community.
1: How is being fluent in Spanish different from being medically trained in a second language?
0: There's a lot of dialects in Spanish. For instance, I'm Puerto Rican, and so my dialect is different than somebody that's from Mexico or somebody who's from Spain. And so there's already a difference in dialects that some of the things don't translate the same in every language. So being able to have that healthcare knowledge and be able to speak the language and speak to these patients about their disease process is important. For instance, if I'm a translator, I can say I'm a translator at the hospital, but if I don't understand the the disease process and I don't know the terminology, I'm only going to interpret to the patient kind of like a slang, basically. They're not Mm going to get 100% of what that professional is telling me to tell them. It's not the same as actually coming straight from the mouth of that professional healthcare nurse or physician, whoever it may be that's given those discharge orders or those post-care orders that they give uh, for the patients to take home.
2: For example, in the Hispanic community, when they refer to abnormalities in their breast, they don't say mass or uh, I have, some, they call it bolitas, little balls. So that's the words that we try to use so that it makes sense to them and also in the, in the way that they talk about their, their, their body, we need to be able to use the same language because it makes, it makes a lot of sense to them. But also the community health workers are able to translate to us what that means. So for example, you might have somebody who says, tengo susto, which if you translate that directly from Spanish to English, it means fear. But in reality, what that translates to is anxiety. Even if we're all Hispanic, there's a different approaches to how, how we say things depending on our heritage.
1: So, what are some solutions you think could help nursing students or medical students learn medical terminology while they're in school?
0: Well, I think that a lot of them need to get into a Spanish speaking medical terminology. A lot of them, it's good to even do interns in other Latin countries like Mexico or um, where Spanish is the number one language. Puerto Rico is another one. They can go practice as part of the US, taking an internship there so that they're providing care in that actual language is a fast paced way of being able to learn and even communicate with these patients.
1: In a whole lot of cases, speaking the same language is only part of the battle. The other is meeting residents where they are, when it's convenient for them. The community health centers themselves, when they're in individual neighborhoods, as you mentioned, does that make it easier for families to do this as a family affair? You know, mothers, fathers, grandmothers, grandfathers, um, sons and daughters to all come in and get checked out.
2: Absolutely, because what we have done is selected these community organizations where people are naturally gathering for their daily activities. So you're at a church for a class, for an after-school program, you're at a sports activity center to drop your child or to maybe do your your own physical workout. You might also be going to a food bank to, to, to gather some goods. There's other things, that services that are, are also there. So people are already going there and our presence makes it easier. I can just stop here, I'm already here. I know the people, the people who work here are trusting Parkland, they know these other folks. So it's, it's just a way to build trust and leverage those individuals who already have a strong presence in these communities. I understand the complexities of the lives of many people I live in the southern section of the of the county so I understand by personal experience if you try to get a bus to come downtown to get healthcare it's it's not easy you have to plan 5 hours just in travel time The Cuidado
1: Casero Foundation and Tarrant County College started a partnership this year where the school matches the foundation's scholarship up to $2,000.
0: We've awarded $217,500 in scholarships to 95 scholarship recipients, and out of the 95 scholarship recipients, 78% have graduated from the program since our first scholarship round in 2018, so they're already working in the workforce." And they're doing a whole
1: lot. Martinez says the Cuidado Castero Foundation is continuing to fund students who choose to earn a bachelor's degree in nursing after they become RNs. They're also hosting a leadership conference every year and a college readiness program as well. So those two are annual things. They're just doing whatever they can to get these nurses out, serving people in the best way possible. I'm Bailey Friday at News Radio 1080 KRLD in Dallas, Fort Worth. Thank you so much for joining me on our new podcast, North Texas Wants to Know. Before you go, please give us a rating and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like this episode, share it with your friends. This episode was produced by Chris Blake and Savannah Jones. KRLD's Kristen Diaz and David Rankin contributed the interview from Teresita Oaks. Original music by Michael Eisenstein. Editorial support from Cooper Mall. Odyssey's managing producer for National News Podcasts is Myron Kaplan.